Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. playing around is it oh boy <laughs> if you weren't feeling stressed when you walked in yeah you are oh man well we're going to get into it the next couple of weeks and before um oh, i'm Jarrett. by the way i'm one of the lead pastors here it's so good to to be with you physically those of you who are here physically with us especially if you're new around here i met someone who was here at the last service for the very first time hadn't been to church in about 15 years and so uh, if you're new around here i'm so glad you're here and if, you, if you're worshiping with us online and joining us there, or maybe you're listening to the pod or watching this message later. I'm so glad that you've carved out this time to be present to God and what he has for you. And before I, I get to the, to the message that I've uh, prepared for our time together, I want to just speak to and, and name something as one of your pastors that God also cares about. And I'm not sure how many of you were watching the news yesterday or this morning and are aware of the tragic and uh, racially motivated shooting of 13 folks. Uh, 10 of whom, predominantly black, were murdered, were killed by a white supremacist while shopping at Topps Grocery in Buffalo, New York. It's 10 folks who went to grab groceries on a Saturday, who had plans for that night, had plans, some of them, to go to church today. 10 families whose families are now forever changed. And, um, man, my heart breaks. It breaks for that community. And uh, it breaks for a country that somehow seems to be okay with this. It's not okay. It's not okay. This sort of deadly display of racist rage is just somehow become a part of the rhythm of our nation, like some sort of terrible tax we all have to pay to live here. And it's heartbreaking. And if you feel that way today, me too. And if I'm being honest with you, I am so tired of having to interrupt sermons that I had planned to speak to moments like this, to speak against the sin of racism, because that's what it is. It is a sin that's created a system of racism. Tired. And I'm sure you're tired of hearing it, (laughs) you know, because you come to church and maybe you came here today like wanting to have a moment with God to transcend what's going on in the world and what you face every day. You're like, oh my God, now he's talking about this again here. And if I'm tired of naming it and you're tired of hearing it, can you imagine what it must be like for our black and brown brothers and sisters? Can you imagine what it must be like for our Asian American and Pacific Islander brothers and sisters, our Middle Eastern and indigenous brothers and sisters who have to live with this every day, who have to hold this every day, carry this every day, who have to live in a country where seemingly their ethnicity is a liability to their very existence. Who have to live in a country where an 18-year-old boy, that's just two years older than my son, an 18-year-old boy who isn't legally old enough to rent a car, to drive the three hours that he drove to do what he did in a predominantly black community is somehow legally old enough to purchase an AR-15 assault rifle. What are we doing? How is that possible? that he can actually buy a weapon that is intentionally designed to kill as many people in as little time as possible. Can you imagine what it must be like to have to live in a country where parts of our our news media and some elected officials fuel and foment this kind of racial outrage and then act indignant and indifferent when people actually act out on it? 
God, forgive us. God, help us. Because we need God now more than ever. And I'm convinced now more than ever that there has to be another way. A way for us to see and, and celebrate the divine dignity and distinction of every single person made in God's image. There is another way. Thank God there is another way. And sadly, unfortunately, our, our laws and our elected officials are unable to get us there. Our news media isn't going to get us there. Ignoring our past and banning books that force us to face it aren't going to get us there. Online comment wars aren't going to get us there. We are only going to get there as the Spirit of God moves through the people of God to live out the way of God in this world. Period. That's it. It's the Spirit of God moving in the people of God to live out the way of God in our relationships, in our city, and in our world. To be willing to get uncomfortable, to do our own personal work, to keep showing up, to lead with love, and to show this world through our lives, through this community, that each of us and all of us are committed to this better way of Jesus. So, I just had to say that. We're going to pause for a moment. There's much more to be said. There's lots that doesn't need to be said. But we're going to pause for a moment. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to pivot and go into the message that I actually prepared this weekend. We're going to hear from God and open God's word together. I'm even going to tell some jokes, two or three of which are funny. (laughs) I can't speak to the rest, so I'm going to need you to laugh at those at least. We're going to move forward because we must. And God has enabled you, actually, whether you believe it or not, to be able to hold this all because he holds it with you. So can we pause for a moment? Can we pray for this community, for these families, for us, for this church? And then we'll move into the message today, okay? God, this is not of you, and this is not what you have for us. And we see how the sin of racism has worked its way into this world and into our country and into moments like this. And so, God, would you forgive us? Would you heal us? Would you enable us to to be those agents of change and love, to live out your way in this world? And God, we pray for this community in Buffalo, New York. We pray for these families, God, whose lives are forever changed. God, we know that you are already there. Your presence is already there. Would you send your people to comfort, to surround, to support, to financially take care of needs that have arisen now? Would you, through your people, show how much you care by how much we care? And God, would you help this church in some way, as imperfect as it is, be a small little example, a bright light on a hill, that shows this world that there is another way. Help each of us to be about that, to be a part of that. And heal, God, what needs to be healed. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we are in a brand new teaching series, and this uh, pivot is as hard as that video was just a minute ago, but I'm going to make it anyway. Uh, We're in a brand new teaching series that John talked about called, Does God Really care about. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at and examine, honestly, the things that we wonder, does God really care about this? Because all of us have things that we assume God cares about. We wonder, well, God must care about this. And does God really care about the things that we think he cares about? Does God even care at all? In fact, in a couple weeks, we're going to look at, does God even care about me? I think these are all great questions for us to consider because 
Uh, there are a lot of things that we assume, we just assume God cares about, right? That he really actually doesn't. And then also, there are a ton of things that we assume God doesn't care about that he really actually does. And if you go to any march or any protest, or maybe you've seen in the news or in the media or online this last week, uh, some of the protests around our country, lots of times people like to declare with big signs what God cares about and what he doesn't care about. Or most specifically, who God loves and who God doesn't love. And they are clear because it is in all caps with exclamation points. And I was kind of preparing at this time, I was looking through that idea of like, man, why is it that we feel so confident to declare, well, God cares about this, and you don't care about this, and God doesn't care about that. And I came across uh, this sign, which I absolutely adore. (laughs) It says, God hates signs. And I think we can all agree on that. That God's not looking for your poster board to move his kingdom forward in this world. It's not that they don't matter. It's just he's not as into them as we are, maybe. Especially the ones on the side of the road that tell you you're going to hell. He's just not that in. He's not a big fan of those signs. So this week, we're, we're actually asking one of the questions that I think so many of us have so many assumptions about We have all kinds of stories around what we're actually going to look at this week. It's honestly one where a lot of us, a lot of us get stuck. And it's simply this. This is the question we're going to walk through in the next couple minutes. Is, does God really care about my money? Oof. Yep. I'm talking about that. Does God really care about my money? Does God really care about your money? And I want to be really upfront with you right at the top of this message. And and this is important because I want to give you the answer now. You don't have to wait to the end. It's not clickbait. I'm going to tell you right now exactly what the answer is. So you may want to write this down because this is big and it may come as a shock and a surprise to many of you. Do you want the answer to the question, does God really care about my money? Here it is. Nope. That's it. No, he doesn't care about your money. That's, that's all I have for this message. I mean, literally some of you are just walking in and getting settled. Don't put your stuff down yet. Like that's all, that's all I've got. Does God really care about money? No, he doesn't care about your money. God does not care about your money, but boy, do we. Ooh, we do we. We care about our money a lot. We really care about it, especially in times like we're walking through right now. In times of uh, recession, times where housing prices are skyrocketing, at a time where I didn't even know this was an option, but baby formula is disappearing. At, at a time when gas prices are, are actually through the roof. At, at a time where Netflix finally decides to clamp down on our generous interpretation of family. Look, look, some of y'all have a lot of family. Look, if we're being honest, there is far more than we'd actually like to admit that we care far more about our money, way more about our money than God does, and oftentimes way more about our money than we care about God. Let's just be real. We care more about what we think it can do for us, how it can make us feel, who it says we are, what it promises us, then we do God who created us. We we care a lot about this. A lot about this. And I want to let you in on on a little secret about who cares for whom. Since we're on the subject of that, who really cares for whom? I want to let you in on a little secret, and and for some of you this may be more than you can handle today, but I just want to let you know something. Your money does not care about you. I know you care about it. It has zero, zero, zero feelings about you. Your 
Credit cards don't care about you. I know you love getting letters from them in the mail, and it's so nice to see that someone's thinking about you. They don't care about you. Your bank does not care about you. And I know we have people who work in banks here, and they're some of the nicest people in the world, and they may even call you by name when you walk in. They don't care about you. Listen to me. You got to look at the list here. Your new golf clubs do not care about you. I know you care a lot about them, and you spend a lot of time with them this week. They don't care about Lululemon does not even care about you, and I know you walk in there and feel like a queen when you walk into that space. They don't care about you. Not even Target cares about you. And I I know, I know, it seems like blasphemy. I know, it's hard, it's hard to take, but it's true. They don't care about you. And I'm sorry to have to break it to you, but I thought you'd rather hear it from a friend. They're just not that into you. It's not them, it's you actually. They don't care about you, but anyone want to take a guess at what they do care about? Your money. Yep. They care about your money. That doesn't make them bad things or bad companies. No, but they're there for your money. You are just a means to get to what they want, which is your money. They care about your money. We care a lot about our money, but God cares about you. Big difference. God cares about you. God cares about your soul. God cares about what money can do to your soul. God cares about the fullness and the freedom that he actually created you to live in. God really cares about you, which again, we're going to unpack in just a couple weeks in this series. But for now, I think a question for us to consider, if God really does care for me, is, is do I care about how much God cares for me? Do I care about how much God cares for me? In other words, do I want what God wants for me? How do I respond to the fact that there is a good God who loves me and cares about me more than my stuff, more than my money? How do I make choices that reflect my reaction, my response to that? How do I live my life more aligned with the life that God longs for me to live? And I think ultimately it all comes down to the state of your heart. It is not about the state of the economy, even though we're all worried about that right now. It's not about the state of the economy. It is about the state of your heart that determines how you answer that question. And I want to show you a picture from the New Testament, from the life of Jesus, that illustrates why and how God cares so much about you. And it's in this specific moment in the the life and ministry of Jesus. And then I want us to all do, we're all going to do an honest audit of our hearts in just a little bit. And then I want to give you an opportunity to make a small, but I believe significant spiritual shift in your life and your relationship with God, wherever you may be at with God. So to do that, we're going to need a Bible. And so if you have one with you, you brought one, fantastic. If you don't, there should be a Soul City Bible right under your chair if you're in this room or on the armrest up in the balcony. If you're with us online right now, just open a separate tab or on your phone or whatever it may be to Mark chapter 12. That's where we're going. Mark chapter 12. In this Soul City Bible here, it's actually page 825. Page 825. That'll fast track you there. Second book in the New Testament, Gospel of Mark about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And I want to give you some context as we're going to to Mark chapter 12. We We are well into, in fact, we're sort of towards the back half of the ministry years of Jesus. These are the last three years of his life here on earth, where he spent all kinds of time doing miracles and healing and teaching. And where we come at in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is on a teaching 
tear. Like you need to understand that by all the verses we're not going to read that comes before the verse we're about to read. He is on a teaching tear in this moment. And he's mostly teaching about and speaking to giving direct rebukes to the shallowness and showiness of the religious leaders of the day. Like he is going nonstop to the religious leaders of his day, calling them out like back to back to back is what Jesus is doing right before this moment. Like Jesus in this moment with those religious leaders, he's not dropping a diss track. This is a diss album that he is dropping on that and he's just not letting up. And then he has this moment that we're about to look at together with his disciples, a very tender, beautiful moment with a profound message for each and every one of us. And we're gonna start in Mark 12, 41. And this is what it says. I'm gonna pause and you're gonna shout out a word, okay? So be ready for that. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now here's where you're going to shout a word out. Many what? Many rich people threw in large amounts. Now, for clarity's sake, this is an actual event that happened in the life of Jesus. This is not one of the parables or the stories that he taught. This moment actually happened. It happened in real time, in real space, at a very specific place in the temple courtyards where you could actually watch and see in the open courtyards, people would come into these three big containers and give their offering, make their financial offering to the work of God in the world. And so Jesus brought his disciples there to see because he knew this moment would happen. It's as though he knew this lesson would be waiting for them and for us, a lesson about what God really actually cares about. And right away, what we see in this first verse is that there were many rich people, it says, who came to give big gifts. And they not only came to give, they came to be seen giving. They wanted everyone to know about their flow. They wanted everyone to know what they were about to give. And so you can just imagine that, right? Like people walking up, waiting in line to give their gift, and they're standing there in line, just being like, whew, it is hot out here. This Middle Eastern heat is a lot. Whew, man, one, two, three, a hundred, two hundred, I don't I can't count that high. And you can just see them in line, waiting, making a big show, and then they finally get to the point where they're actually going to give their offering, and you can just see them making a big deal. Yes, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. You have been so good to me. What is, oh, is this a hundo? Is this a hundo? Oh, 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 oh. And you can just see them making this huge, big spectacle about it so that everyone knows how wealthy they are and how generous they are. And you can see right after leaving it, they're just like, hashtag thou art blessed and walking on and going on about their day. It's easy to look at that and go, well, wait a second. That's, that's a, that's a good thing, right? Like they were giving lots of money to the temple and to the, to the work of God. But as we're about to see in just a moment, actually it's, it's, it's your faithful obedience that is worth far more to God than your financial opulence. I'm going to say it again. Your faithful obedience is worth far more to God than your financial opulence. All that you came to give and all that you're doing for God. Because we see in verse 42, it says this, but a what? But a poor what? Widow. But a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now, this is so important because what you see, if you study the life and teachings of Jesus, Jesus always chooses the underdog and the overlooked as the heroes of his teaching. Because this woman in this cultural moment, in this specific cultural moment, already had three strikes against her. 
First, she was a woman. And again, it's not how it should be. It's how it was in that moment. And in that moment, a woman was subservient to a man, not as significant as a man. So already we know she's a woman. She has that against her in that cultural moment. And we also know that she is a widow, which means she has no steady source of income because the men in that culture provided the financial resources for the family. So she had no steady source of financial security, at least in her life. And it even tells us then that she is poor. And the poor in that culture, in that moment, often were overlooked by that society and still are today. She has all of that going against her as she comes to give her offering. And you can just, can you just imagine her? Can you just see her standing in line while all those people are making a big show and her two little copper coins are just sweating in the palm of her hand. And she has to wonder as she's walking by the beautiful, opulent, gold-laden towers of the temple courts. If this even makes a difference, does this even matter to God? And you can see her humbly and quietly without a lot of show. Drop her little coins in, wondering if God even noticed, wondering where the rest would come from. And we see in this moment, what Jesus sees, what no one else seemed to see in that moment. And it's in verse 43. Look what Jesus says, calling his disciples to him. He kind of huddled them up around him. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, that means pay attention to this. You can count on this. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Listen to this. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty. She put in everything, all that she has to live on. Her meager, minuscule little gift mattered more to God. Why? Because of where it came from. Because of why she gave. Why she chose to trust God, even when it seemed like financially it wouldn't even make a difference. What Jesus is is saying here in this moment is that When it comes to how you actually handle your money, how you respond to God with gratitude, how you trust God with what's actually been entrusted to you, your my with God, your why matters way more than your what. That's significant. With God, your why, what compels you, what moves you, what motivates you, what's in you, matters way more to God than your what. Why? Because God cares more about you than he does your money. It's the why in your heart that matters more than what's in your account. Does that make sense? Your faith is far more important to God than your finances. Your trust more than any treasure. Your internal motivation matters more than any sort of external demonstration of your generosity. Your why matters more than your what. Why? Because God cares more about you than he does your money. And how you respond to him reveals what is really going on in your heart. How you trust him reveals how you really care about how he cares for you. And see, what I found in in my own sort of financial journey with God and what I've seen to be true working at a church all these years is that when it comes to the sort of the state of people's heart, there really are three types of financial folks. This is going to be the audit part. So we're all going to kind of do a little audit of our life right now and where we're at with God. All right. So we're going to be honest. I'm not going to have you raise hands for anything. We're just going to do it internally. It's an internal audit. So we're going to do a little audit here because I found that there's really three types of financial folks 
when it comes to their heart towards God, specifically when it comes to giving of their resources to God, trusting him with those things. And I think it's exactly what we see pointed out in Mark chapter 12, three types of people. And to illustrate that, I actually asked our team if I could use this Olympics podium that we created for our kids camp a couple summers ago because it was just sitting in a closet and I wanted to repurpose it and use it in my sermon today. It's called Good Stewardship, sweetheart. Look it up. So I'm using an old thing that kind of works for this illustration. Please go with me. So the first group of people that I would say kind of the first state of heart is those that we would call grippers. Grippers. These are, these are folks that hold their money close and hold their money tight. Now, no one in this room likes to think of themselves or be considered a gripper. But statistically speaking, at least when it comes to churches, most people actually are in this group. Just kind of how it works. Most people are in this group. And we should remember, without going to any judgment or shame, this is where we all start off. We all start off actually as grippers. Like, how many of you remember your first piggy bank. Did anyone, I feel like I'm the only person ever, did anyone have like a piggy bank or something? Raise your hand if you had like a piggy bank. Okay. All right. So some of us older folks in the room. Okay, great, great. We had piggy banks, right? I had an actual piggy shaped piggy bank. Uh, maybe, or maybe you remember your first checking account that you opened. Do you remember opening your first checking account ever, your first bank account? Or for you Gen Zers, remember your first crypto wallet that you, um, I don't, I don't know. Well, your crypto wallet. I don't know what you're into. Uh, okay. So the goal was to get as much as you actually could and to hold on to it as long as you could until you actually found something that you wanted to spend it on. And again, this is what a lot of us were taught. So there's no shame in this. It's just acknowledging maybe this is more where I'm at. And the challenge for grippers is, is that the more that they get, the tighter the grip gets. The more, it's, you'd think it would work the opposite way. It doesn't. Statistically speaking, it does not. The more people get, the tighter the grip gets. The further you go down this path. So if there's a posture of you and you trying to think about, man, man, I wonder if that's me. If there's a posture for grippers, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. It's, it's this. It's their fists just clenched. In fact, I'd love for everyone in this room right now and everyone online to do this right now. Go ahead and just like make as tight of a fist as you can. Like, no, I mean, that's not like harder. Like you're not doing it. I'm looking at you right here. You're in the front row. You can't come to the front row and not do this. I want you to like cut off circulation in your hand. I want it to be like that level. Okay, now stop before anyone passes out. Okay, stop. That's the idea. That's what it feels like to just, to just grip and to hold on to it as tight as you can. And if there's, if there's something that grippers have, uh, I would say grippers have money. But if there's something grippers lack, it's perspective. They may have money, but they lack perspective on the things that are actually bigger than them, the things of God at work in this world. So that would be the first category. We will call them grippers. And then the second category that we would actually want to look at today is those folks that we would call tippers. Now, what do I mean by tippers? This is actually also a lot of people who go to church tend to fall in this camp or this category. Uh, tippers start with really great intentions. They really have good intentions. You feel grateful to God. You have an awareness of God's goodness in your life. And so when the moment comes or you feel compelled or moved by God, you want to give. And basically the way it works is you kind of look to what you got on you and you kind of just throw it in the bucket or whatever it may be. And it feels kind of like a tip, like, hey, this is for you, big guy. Good job. Let's keep it up, huh? Good work up there, right? So that's kind of what it is. It's like, hey, good job, you know? And it's not a bad, like, it's a wonderful thing to 
It's a beautiful thing, actually, to, to, to be moved by God and to be able to give to God when you remember how God has moved in your life or when you feel moved to do so. You're actually, when you are tipping and just kind of giving whatever you've got on you, you're doing more than most. You're doing more than most when you do that. But here's the thing about being a tipper. The reality is your generosity is always contingent on what you've got on you versus what God has put in your heart. Right? So you may feel really moved. You're like, oh, shoot, all I got to 20. Oh, shoot, all I got is two pennies. Oh, man, I got like five hundo. I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's always contingent on what you've got on you versus what God has put in your heart to trust him with. And if there's a posture for tippers, I suppose it makes sense that it would be just a hand in a pocket. So if you have a pocket, go ahead right now in this room or online, or if you have a purse with you or something like that, you can just kind of put your hand on your purse. That's kind of the idea of it. Go ahead, everyone can do it, it's okay. Um, especially, I know you're gonna do it. Uh, all right, so <laughs> this is kind of what, this is kind of what, it, what it looks like, right? It's kind of like, oh, what do I got on me? What do I, okay, what do I got on me? And if there's something that, that, that tippers have, they have motivation, but if there's something tippers lack, they lack a plan. So they have motivation, they feel inspired, but they lack a plan. And I think we all know how that feels, right? To feel really inspired, but not sure what to do or how to get there. Like some of us are aware that summer actually is coming. In fact, it came this week and we need to help our body get ready for summer, right? And so you may have a desire like, oh, I need to, I need to do some, I need to make some changes. But you know that wanting to and being willing to are two very different things. You may want to eat more healthy, but being willing to make those choices every day, that's two very different things. You may want to actually pray more. I want to be more connected to God, but being willing to actually carve out that time and have a plan to actually connect with God are two different things. Your wanting may be locked in, but your willingness may be lacking. That's kind of what it feels like in this place where you're a tipper. Last category, we have grippers, we have tippers, and then we have what we'll call givers. And this is what I believe we see modeled for us by this poor old widow in Mark chapter 12. This is what Jesus was looking for and saw and called out and honored in her. This is actually the life that God longs for each and every one of us to live, a life of joyful generosity, of giving back to God, to not just feel grateful, but to be grateful, to actually invest in the work of God and what he's doing in the church, in a city, in the world, to give what God is up to in the world, to trust God even when you don't feel like it. And if there's a posture for those that we would call givers for this sort of state of heart, I think it's one that we take regularly around here at our church and we can all do it right now. It's just open hands. This is going to be the easiest one you do. It's just open hands. Maybe you just kind of open your hands and put them in your lap. I think this is what the posture of a giver looks like. They just kind of acknowledge, God, all that I've got comes from you and all that I've got is yours. My hands are open to you. I think this is the, the secret that, that givers find, the thing that, that compelled that, you can kind of release that posture if you want, the thing that compelled that poor old woman in the story that we just read about that only had her two cents to give, I think is this, is that givers get that they just, they have more than they need and they actually ultimately lack nothing. It's a completely different mindset. They feel, they see that they have all that they need and they lack nothing. It's like we say around here all the time. They may not have all that they want, but they know that they have more than they need and that comes from the hand of a loving God. 
They believe that it all comes from a good God who has always and will always take care of them. They lack nothing because they have everything they need in God. See, this is, this is what, what givers get. Givers get that all that they've got is from God. Givers get that all that they've got, all of it, is ultimately actually from God. They get that God cares about them more than he does about their money. They know that their true supply, their true source, their true satisfaction in this life isn't stuck by or or limited by a recession. It isn't inhibited by a supply chain failure. It's not actually following and flowing with the market. It doesn't need a stimulus. No, actually, that idea that givers actually get comes from a good God who created them. That is at the source and the center of all that they know and believe to be true about God. That there's a God who created them and knows them and loves them and can supply for every one of their needs and is actually able to do immeasurably and abundantly and exceedingly more than their money ever could, to do abundantly and exceedingly more than they could ever hope for or imagine. That's what givers get. That's what they've got. And I I wish I could tell you that that I always got this one right. (laughs) that I always just kind of came out the gate and was like, yep, I got it. I'm going to give to God. going to get that one right. That I've always known that the joy that comes from trusting God with what he's entrusted to me, even when it hurts, even when it's hard to do so, but that wouldn't be true. I mean, don't get me wrong. Gene and I, Thankfully, I'm so grateful for this. We're compelled enough at the very beginning of our marriage to set up our finances, to structure our marriage in such a way that we decided to put God first and at the center. And I'm so grateful that as young kids, when we got married, that was something that we made a priority for us. But I'm going to tell you, in all those years of us giving to God, it never really hurt. You know what I mean? We were faithful to it, but it never really like, cost us something. It wasn't honestly really until we started this church that we really got this idea that we see Jesus call out and honor in Mark chapter 12. Because we had, we had left two great jobs at that point who had this really wonderful habit of putting money in our bank every couple of weeks. It was just a wonderful little thing that we had going on between us. And we cashed out our life savings that we'd spent years building up. We cashed out our life savings to start a church in the living room of a house that we were trying to sell at the very bottom of the recession. So yeah, it was different. It was different for us. It wasn't until then that we began to get what this widow got. That we began to give more than we had ever actually given all the while making less than we'd ever made. And all of this with a two-year-old and a four-year-old in tow who like needed stuff. And her parents thought we were crazy and how is this gonna happen? But somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit got a hold of our hearts and compelled us to trust God like we had never trusted God before. Even while we went almost two years without a steady paycheck and starting this church, what we found along the way to be true of our trusting with God, something that we found to be a given when it came to our giving, is that giving not only shows our faith, but it actually grows our faith. That's the, wonder, that's the powerful thing about it. That giving not only is an act of faith, it's a way to grow 
your faith. It's not only a demonstration of your faith, it's an invitation to greater faith. Something, something that allows God, just allows to grow in your heart that, 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 that gripping and tipping could just never grow. They just simply can't do what God can do in you when you choose to trust him with it all. And look, here's the deal. If I can be like really, really, really real with you, I, I don't, like, oh, I love that story from that season of our life. I don't want that to just be a story I tell about my past. Remember that one time when we really trusted God? Remember that one season where we gave and we didn't know how God was going to supply? I want that to be true of me today. And my hunch is deep down somewhere for each and every one of us, you want that to be true of you too. You want to be known as that type of person that trusts God like that. And over the years as we've been able to thankfully be able to earn more than the nothing we were making those first couple years. We've actually increased what we've given to God and been able to do that. Hasn't always been easy. Hasn't always been perfect. Certainly not. We haven't always actually gotten it right, but I just, I don't know. For me, I wonder if instead of the temple courts 2000 years ago, if Jesus was standing in the corner of our kitchen while we were going through our budget, or if Jesus was in the corner of this sort of church with his disciples watching me, what would be the story he would tell? What would be, what would be the story he would tell? Would he see in me the same spirit, the same faith, the same trust as that poor old widow? I want that to be true of me. No matter what season I'm in, no matter what my finances may look like, I want to know that I trust God. I put my faith in God no matter what. Now, I want to just say this and then we'll wrap up. Be really clear. I want to be really clear. Does God really care about givers more than he does tippers or grippers? Yeah, he really does. He likes them a lot more. No, of course not. My gosh. Of course God does not care about givers more than he does tippers or grippers, even though some pastors can act that way and treat people that way. That's not of God. God loves each and every person. He loves you perfectly and completely. No matter where you're at in this audit, he loves you. He has so much more for you than you can even possibly imagine. It's, just, it's not that he loves givers more. It's just that they, they experience so much more of God. They grow so much more. They trust God so much more. They experience more freedom and fullness and purpose in their lives. They just do. And that's what I long for to be true of me and my hunches. That is what you long to be true of you. But more importantly, that's what God longs to be true of you. Because God cares about you. He absolutely does. He cares about you way more than he cares about your money. He cares about your heart. He cares about your financial freedom. He cares about the wholeness and fullness of your life. And so the question is, do I? Do I want what God wants for me? So your homework for this week is, is really simple. I would ask you, no matter where you're at with God, if you'd be willing to do so, to just ask God, what does a shift look like for me in this, God? What would a shift look like for me? 
Maybe it's for you, it's from gripper to tipper. Maybe it's from tipper to giver. Maybe you're a giver, but you're going, you know what? I don't know the last time I really even thought about it. God, I want to be more conscious in my giving. What would a spiritual shift look like for you? And that's the whole of the homework. You know, I've given messages like this before, and we waited to do the offering after the message. Be like, ha ha, what are you going to do now? I mean, I don't know. Here come the buckets. Like that, you know. We've done that. We've done giving challenges, which were great. And we encouraged people to give to God for 90 days, but we didn't really have a backup plan. Like we weren't going to give people their money back. It's just weird. We've done all kinds of things and tried all kinds of things. You are too smart. You are too mature. And I believe that you are pursuing God wholly and completely with your life for, for any sort of gimmick like that. I just want you to ask God, what do you want from me? That's it. When it comes to my finances, what do I need to pay attention to, God? Where am I off track? And how can I make a shift this week with you to live more like that little old widow that everyone else didn't even notice, but Jesus saw and honored. So I'm gonna ask you to stand right now and we're gonna pray and, and I'm actually gonna invite us to just declare about the faithfulness and the goodness of God who's been so faithful throughout our lives and throughout every generation. So let's take that posture that we took earlier with the open hands if we could. If you'd be willing to do that as we pray. And I, I just, God, I pray for I pray for the the freedom and the liberation that Mark named earlier. I pray for the fullness, the purpose that you have for us, God, that we would be able to experience in our trusting of you, in our faith of you. So God, for my friends here, my brothers and sisters who are all over the place with you, would you right now just, God, give them a nudge, give them a, a sense of what it is you're inviting them into, and would you give them the courage to actually trust you, to step out and to trust you, whatever that may look like this week. Because God, for you, it's the why that matters way more than the what. And I just want to be found faithful, God, that I trusted you through it all. Thank you, God, that you have always been faithful and we can trust you because of that. It's in your name that we pray and we sing. Amen.